Kia orana, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suisuiki. Coming up... We need to get everyone together, reunited and refocus again. The man tipped to be the next Secretary-General of the Pacific Islands Forum is unfazed by his haters. Also, reliable and cheaper internet are on the cards for some Pacific countries. And later on... I feel like I have a skill for it and so I guess I just really want to go as far as I can with it. 18-year-old Samoan Faith Bui makes golfing history. The opening ceremony of the 52nd Pacific Islands Forum Leaders Summit has been held in the Cook Islands. Leaders and high-level delegations from 18 member states are in Rarotonga, along with dialogue partners including the US and China also attending. I spoke with RNZ Pacific's Lydia Lewis ahead of the ceremony. Kia ora, Lydia. What's the atmosphere like so far? So far, it's been great. The markets have been packed. We've got kids practicing. Um, there have been parades for the upcoming Pacific Games. Locals are really friendly and absolutely loving hosting. Some of them don't know what the Pacific Islands Forum Leaders Summit is, uh, but they're happy to have um, a lot more people in-country, tourists to serve, and it's a great vibe and atmosphere all around. The former chair of the forum, Sitiveni Ramboka, flew in at midnight last night with six other leaders and high-level delegations. What was the reception like? The leaders were greeted with a large crowd full of members of the Fijian community who are currently living here in the Cook Islands and working. They told me the arrival of their Prime Minister to the Cook Islands was really just long overdue. Fiji's Prime Minister, Sitiveni Rambuka, landed last night at midnight, um, obviously to attend the Pacific Islands Forum Leaders Meeting, which has kicked off uh, Monday local time, which is today as I'm speaking now. And we've also got the opening ceremony um, today, which the children are going to be performing, who I mentioned earlier, who have been practicing really hard. Um, but I really want to make a note that the Fijians really turned out uh, last night. It was midnight, and there were around 100 people there. Uh, mamas, children, they were singing. It was absolutely beautiful. One Fijian community representative told me uh, that there are several issues that he hopes to raise with the Prime Minister, including visas to New Zealand and Australia. And this is a contentious issue and one that the leaders, um, particularly the Tongan leader, um, Huakawa Meiliko, hopes to raise with Australia and New Zealand as well on the visit. So this was an inaugural flight, the first Fiji Airways Flight. It was a charter flight, though, um, that arrived last night. Samoa's Prime Minister, Fia Mayor, was on there. Nauru's President was also on there. But also, Sana, I want to mention uh, the next Secretary-General, well, the potential next Secretary-General of the Forum, Baron Wanga, was also on that flight. I understand you spoke with former Nauru President and current Pacific Islands Forum Secretary-General, Mike Greenwich and candidate, Baron Wanga last night, the first ever interview since the announcement of his candidacy. That's right. While the leaders were being welcomed by the traditional dancers, Wanga walked in the dark through the domestic arrivals area um, because he's not a head of state, so he wasn't a part of the official welcome. I snapped a picture of him snapping a picture of the official welcome. And when he got through the domestic terminal, um, as soon as he walked out, I said hi and he walked over to me and 
I interviewed him, he told me um, when I questioned him about the critics, because obviously there's been a lot of contention around his appointment, um, he said that the critics just want to spoil things. Here's a little snippet of the interview that I did with Baron Wanga. It's already been decided and then, no, we leave that to the, to the leaders. What do you say to all of the critics? Oh, that's unfounded. They just uh, want to uh, spoil things, you know. What are your hopes for the forum? Well, we need to get everyone together, reunited and refocus again. There's so much to be done. Uh, there are accusations that he received bribes in a case that still remains open, but he still remains on track to be the next Secretary-General of the largest regional grouping of the Pacific Islands Forum. But a lot can happen uh, in 24 hours or even an hour. As I'm speaking to you right now, the leaders from the Micronesian Group are meeting, and they are the ones that hold the power. They are the ones that get to decide who they want to be their next Secretary-General, and time will tell whether or not they will keep Baron Wanga on or whether or not something else will happen. But the, the mere presence of Baron Wanga being here just indicates the potential that going forward he will remain as their candidate. Meitaki, that was Lydia Lewis reporting from Rarotonga for the Pacific Islands Forum Leaders Summit. Cook Island leaders and locals say they're proud to be hosting the forum. Alicia Foon is in Rarotonga and spoke with Foreign Affairs Minister Te Pairu Herman, who fought for the forum to be in the Cook Islands. They spoke about the preparations and significance of hosting the leader summit, symbolically in front of the memorial site where the forum's founding father, Albert Henry, is buried. One of the things we continue to be grateful for in government is the way in which our community embrace uh, when government makes commitments for undertakings such as hosting uh, the, the annual gathering of forum leaders. And so you will see a real excitement over the next couple of days. There are final preparations. You're going to have over 200 primary school children who will be part of that uh, opening ceremony drawn from more than 10 primary schools. What you will not see is those who have been working, volunteering uh, for weeks now to spruce up our roads, to spruce up our public places, to uh, trim the trees. Uh, so there's, uh, it really is a whole of nation uh, contribution and not just Rarotonga uh, in Aitutaki as they prepare, prepare for the retreat. Uh, there's also been a lot of um, community involvement to make sure that uh, we can all be proud of uh, the hosting that we deliver over the next week. And what does this mean for the Cook Islands to be hosting a forum like this? Uh, this is a, a very... Uh, we, we don't make commitments to host uh, lightly. Uh, the Pacific Islands Forum is very personal for the Cook Islands. Our founding father, uh, in whom uh, a stone I stand in front of right now, we were there at the very beginning with a handful of other at that time, very newly independent Pacific Island Forum states. Uh, so one of the things we're very keen to do a better job of this year as the Cook Islands is to have our people learn more about our involvement uh, in the, uh, the creation of the forum 52 years ago, but also in all that the forum has delivered. We hope for our Cook Islands people, they will have an opportunity uh, to connect directly with Pacific leaders through the pavilion, that will feature at the Punangani Market Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, but also to serve as inspiration uh, for our Pacific leaders of what's possible when leaders, our Pacific leaders, work together.
Uh, the challenges confronting every country all around the world are extremely difficult. What we have in the Pacific Islands Forum is a very unique, more than five-decade partnership and relationship uh, that has helped each of our nation, small island nations uh, overcome these complex challenges. There is a real power and um, an ability to overcome uh, when we when we work together, and that's why we chose the theme that we did. Our voices, our choices, the Pacific way, promote, partner, prosper. Where we're standing is extremely significant. Mm. You know, the, the tomb of the, the founding mm. father of the forum, Albert Henry. How significant was the pardon? The pardon was very significant. Uh, the pardon was finally for me personally, a, a lifting of what has been a quite heavy cloud over what is a mammoth contribution made by Papa Arapati, not just leader of our country, but in the years before and, and in the years after. Uh, he was well known for saying no one in the tribe is left behind. And that continues to serve as uh, a reminder for Cook Island leaders the obligation they have to the people of this country uh, in how they lead and in how they serve. It was him in 1964 uh, that travelled to the United Nations and uh, the Cook Islands, through a unilateral act of self-determination, chose to be self-governing and free association. Uh, with New Zealand. At the time, we had four choices. We could become fully independent. We could be self-governing and free association, which is what we choose. We could be part of the Poly of a Polynesian uh, uh, bloc, but uh, through his visionary insight, he and the leaders of that time chose self-governing and free association. And with the benefit of hindsight, fast forward 50 years later, the Cook Islands has evolved its international persona and the manner in which it deals with the world in the manner in which it partners with the Pacific first and foremost and with everyone else, uh, in a manner which uh, meets the needs, the evolving needs of the people of this little country. The, the lifting of a pardon I can't emphasise enough. It was many, many years ago. This, our voices, our choices, the Pacific way, the, the obligation remains on us, public servants like myself, uh, and parents to make sure that our children know their history because if they know their history, they can't possibly misstep. What would you like to say to US, China and other delegates who may come in with an agenda? We'd like to see all partners, be they China, be they the United States, France, be they Saudi Arabia, be they the United Arab Emirates, that our voices, our choices, the Pacific way is where they focus their effort. And in that regard, the role that media have to play to ensure that the space for the discussion and the exchange puts front and center the voices of not just Pacific leaders, Pacific people, Pacific youth, Pacific church leaders, Pacific community leaders, Pacific business leaders. More reliable and cheaper internet are on the cards for some Pacific nations. Google will run undersea internet cables to at least eight countries in the region under a joint US-Australian deal. Canberra will contribute 50 million US dollars and Washington is adding another 15 million. 
Dr. Amanda Watson, Research Fellow at the Department of Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University, says the deal could be beneficial to the countries getting the cable. She speaks with Caleb Fotheringham. So the Pacific Island countries are small states with a uh, limited number of telecommunication companies. There are a number of Pacific Island countries with only one telecommunication company in operation because the economies and the populations are so small, it's hard to attract business investment um, or to sustain a multiplayer competitive environment, which means that there are not choices for consumers and people might have to pay more than you would expect to pay in other places for telephone and internet services. So the uh, opportunity for countries to have cable connections can be really useful for them. At present, there are some Pacific Island countries with no cable connection. Tuvalu is an example of that. And there are other countries with only one cable, which means that there's a lack of redundancy if that cable is damaged in any way. So this announcement from the Australian government, the United States government, and various companies, most notably Google, does present an opportunity for some countries, such as Tuvalu, that has no cable to be able to have greater access to internet bandwidth through a generally reliable mechanism that's usually much cheaper than satellite options. Well, from what you've told me, it seems like a lot of these countries don't have great internet as it currently stands. What would it be like if you're in Tuvalu and you're trying to watch a YouTube video, for example? How would that look? Is it quite painful? Yes, it it can be quite difficult in some of these countries where the users, businesses, government agencies and so on are relying on the internet through a satellite connection. So that can be really quite difficult, unreliable, slow and costly. Uh, So certainly a cable connection can present an opportunity for improved access. If the pricing is done correctly and if, if it's managed in, a way, in such a way that it can be competitive for various local businesses to gain access to the bandwidth from the cable. Do you imagine overseas aid, like what has happened here, is the only way that this could have happened, that cables could have been run to these Pacific Island nations? Yes, because we are talking about small countries with small economies, it can be that there could be a role for donors. And indeed, it's something that I've been advocating for the key partners, such as New Zealand, Australia, and so on, to sit down together and talk about the communication needs of the people, communities, businesses, and governments in these small states. So certainly, I think there can be a role for for governments in the sense of donors in this space. I'm happy to see in the announcement from the White House that they're working with the Pacific Islands Forum. I think that's really important because the Pacific Island governments need to have a say in what's being done, which countries are being chosen, how the tender processes are managed, how local businesses might have opportunities to participate, etc., etc. So, yes, there's a role for donors. I do have some questions about this particular announcement, but certainly I do believe that there's a space for donors to support access to communications, which can be life-saving in the case of natural disasters, medical emergencies, and so on. 
in your view, is Australia and US doing this? Is this another thing that we see the traditional partners of the Pacific, if you like, re-engaging in the Pacific in the face of China engaging as well? My view is that Australia, the United States and New Zealand have been long-term partners and friends of the Pacific Island countries. New Zealand, in fact, supported a cable for some Pacific Island countries not too long ago called the Manatua Cable. And so I think that certainly in the case of Australia and New Zealand, they've been continuing in their engagement with Pacific Island countries for a long time. There is some commentary that suggests that the United States slipped away in its focus for a while, but people in the Micronesian region would probably dispute that given the ongoing presence of the United States, not only in Guam and Hawaii, but also with their arrangements with the Federated States of Micronesia and so on. So I guess there is some commentary I'm aware of that says that the United States is becoming more interested in the Pacific Islands region because of China also trying to exert its influence. Uh, But I would argue that certainly in the case of Australia and New Zealand, if not the United States as well, these are long-term partners that have been friends with these countries for a long time and have continuing and lengthy involvement in terms of aid and donor activities. So this could have likely happened before everyone got so focused on China. Yeah, I mean, there were a whole range of activities going on. Australia spends a large amount of money every year in the Pacific Islands region and has done for a long time. And some of that has included things like supporting local media entities, training of local media, looking at communication access and electricity access and all sorts of things. So my feeling is that Australia is continuing a long-term engagement. I'm aware that there have been some concerns amongst diplomats and bureaucrats in Australia, New Zealand and the United States about China's influence, but I'm not sure about the extent to which the China worry has influenced them. I think there's also a lot of people in these traditional donor partners so the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, New Zealand's MFAT and so on, that are really trying to help and and do the right thing and seeing the opportunity to lay cables as a way to to help their Pacific neighbours. Faith Vui dreams of becoming the first someone to play on the LPGA Tour and the 18-year-old took a step towards that by writing her name into New Zealand's golfing history books. Wui became the first Samoan to claim the New Zealand Women's Amateur Championship title after winning the 36-hole final at the Hamilton Golf Club on Sunday. With her father acting as her coach and caddy, Wui travels to compete in overseas tournaments when her family can afford it. Wui lives and plays in Samoa and does homeschooling so she can practice six days a week at the Royal Samoa Golf Club in Apia. She started playing golf when she was 10 years old and told sports reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe how she got into it. I watched my eldest brother, Nico, um, go to tournaments with my dad and then um, my other brother, Leo, who's a year older than me. He took it up a year before I did and I guess I just watched how they played and I thought to myself, hey, I want to try this out and see how it goes and I found a passion and love for it and I'm here. (laughs) What about your dad? Did he play? Did he already have an interest? Yes, he had an interest. He started quite a while ago, um, and so he 
he basically took it up. He has a lo- he has a love and passion for it. And once we all wanted to start taking it up as well, he learned so much and um, taught himself how to coach us and, you know, taught us the game from the start and everything like that. I read somewhere that you do homeschooling so that you can practice golf nearly every day. Yes. Um, we started homeschooling, around, I think it was in 2019. My mom, my mom wasn't super up for it, but my dad knew that we needed that we both wanted to, you know, go full way with this and practice as much as we could. And so my mom agreed. And so we've been homeschooled since then. And we've been just practicing and playing as much as we can. Um, Not on Sundays at home because we go to church and that's our rest days. But every other day is just practice and playing as much as we can. You obviously have a deep love for the sport of golf. What do you think it is about the sport that you took to and that you love so much? Honestly, when I when I initially started, it was pretty tough as a beginner, but I think like learning like the different emotions that came with it and I guess like when I had my first birdie, I was super happy and like it's just a great achievement when you make small achievements here and there and um I just love being outside and I love that, you know, I could go out and play like play holes and things like that and um I just love and like I said before, I just love the emotions that come with it. And I love that I can play with my family or my brothers and my dad. Uh, I guess I just found the love for it. And um, um, I kind of feel like I have a skill for it. And so I guess I just really want to go as far as I can with it. But I do love the game and just brings so much joy to me. And it is also my exercise. So <laughs> I'm grateful for that and things like that. How young were you when you first started traveling overseas for golf tournaments? How many years have you been doing that for? So I started when I was 10 and I I started playing competitively when I was 12. So I think I traveled to my first tournament in New Zealand when I was 12. I can still kind of remember how that was on my first day. It was super nerve-wracking and it's always nerve-wracking on first days of tournaments. It was a junior golf event and I guess it was super fun to go to my first tournament in New Zealand and it was great. It must be very important for your development to be going to these tournaments overseas. It is. It's super important. Um, I guess the more you play and the more you um, play under pressure and just the more you get used to it, it does help with how you progress and things like that. And just trying to get used to like, different types of golf courses and different types of like feelings and um, under pressure situations and things like that. So you're saying that you do these trips when you can afford it. I mean, it must be um, quite a challenge to afford to go to these tournaments. It is. Yeah. I've said before that um, we travel when we can afford. And so um, I'm super grateful to my parents, you know, for, um, you know, helping us afford to come to these tournaments. And so, as a teenager, it does like register that like everything that has to go do with golf is super expensive, and so it it kind of does put a little bit more pressure going into the tournaments. But I use that pressure as motivation, and you know, just there's a lot of things that go into coming to these tournaments, and I'm just grateful that I can. Faith Boy's next big tournament is the Pacific Games in Solomon Islands later this month.
That's specific ways for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till fast week four.